The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Love the Ramones. You know what? Uh, the 80s, rock and roll, big hair. Oh, you think I have big hair now? You should have seen it in the 80s. Um, neon, the tight pants, acid wash. Andrew, how many pair of acid wash jeans did you have? Oh, I never had more than two pair at any given time, but they were acid wash. <laughs> there was some great music and not so great music, and our next guest was there to document it all, but he didn't have permission. No, Julian David Stone has just put out a book about it called No Cameras Allowed. My career is an outlaw rock and roll photographer, and he joins us now. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be speaking with you. Hey, well, Julian. Yeah, how did you get going on Hi. this? This had to be just you went to a concert and wanted to take some pictures. That had to be how it started. Uh Sort of. It really started as a teenager dreaming of being a rock star and realizing five seconds after I picked up a guitar that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> um, and interesting enough, it was a Ramones concert where I first did this. I went down there innocently enough. Uh, I was in love with rock and roll and I loved photography and I thought this will be my way into the world. And I tried to walk into a club with my equipment with a bag over my shoulder and the bouncer laughed at me, you know, and sent me away. And I was about to throw my stuff back in my car, and I just suddenly had this idea that, you know, I think there's a way around this. I hid the equipment on my, uh, in, my, uh, in my tube socks. You were talking about the 80s. I had my big old yeah. tube socks on. And I photographed the Ramones, uh, got in, photographed the Ramones, and that started a six-year odyssey throughout the 80s where I ended up shooting about 10,000 pictures of all of the biggest stars of the 80s and all of it by smuggling my equipment in. How many times did you get caught and kicked out, Julian? <laughs> there were a few times um, I got tossed out of a Duran Duran show quite quite dramatically. Um, I got chased a fair number of times. I had a, a, a roadie jump off the stage at a Joan Jett show oh, wow. in a club and chase uh, and come barreling through the crowd at me. And I was able to just get my equipment hidden away in time that he lost me. So we actually ended up taking down the guy next to me. And I just, <laughs> and I just, and I just walked away like, oh, nothing to see here. So... Yeah, there there were definitely some adventures. Now I know you've got some specific stories that are quite uh, quite funny, but I want to ask: given that you got caught, or given that you know you you did all these concerts, did people get to know you? I mean, did did Dorman look for you, or did roadies think, okay, where's that guy? You know, part of doing this was to try to be as inconspicuous as possible. So no, I can't say that they particularly got to know me. But to some degree, I got to know them because that was, you know, I was shooting all, you know, all the way from small clubs up to stadiums. And you sort of, as you, as you were on your way in, you would kind of suss out the security and you always kind of went to who you thought looked like the least threatening person. You know, inevitably with some of these big shows, they would hire sort of high school kids, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. to, to put on a windbreaker and be security. So I always tried to gravitate over to the, uh, <laughs> to the people who seemed the, the least likely to give me a thorough look over. When we talk about uh, you um, taking photos of some of the greatest acts of you two, of uh, the 80s, we're talking you 2 the police, uh, David Bowie, R.E.M., the Ramones, Costello, the Talking Heads, uh, Joan Jett. Um, we talk about Prince as well. There's a 
great story uh, from Edmonton with a, a great local place. It used to be called Axe Music mm-hmm. when Prince, uh, one of his last concert tours came through here and rehearsed in there and how some of the staff snuck up. Like he blocked it all off with curtains and closed the door, but the staff got up top and watched him rehearse from a balcony up top in this shop looking down and he didn't know that they were there. Wow. Yeah, and they said it was just one of those magic moments, but you have a pretty cool Prince story too and it involves some hairspray. <laughs> yeah, so it, this was one of my, you know, there's a lot of Prince in my book and this was one of my favorite shows that I saw during this. This, when, this was Prince during the Purple Rain mm. era and this was, you know, 1985 and this was kind of the closest to Beatlemania that I personally experienced because Prince was everywhere, number one movie, yep. number one album. And I had just started college, and I remember walking through the dorm and hearing that album coming out of every room. It was just, he was everywhere. And so when he came to town, I made sure I was going to be there. In fact, I bought a brand-new, super-huge telephoto lens, and it came the night before the concert. So I didn't really have time to sort of, at this point, I had built up all these different ways that I would sneak equipment in. So the next day, I'm at the show, I'm in the parking lot, getting ready to go in, and I'm getting ready to hide the equipment on me, and this lens doesn't fit anywhere. It's just too darn big. It doesn't fit in any of the stuff I come up with. Well, I had fortunately gone to this show with a female friend, and as you were also saying in your introduction, 80s hair was really big, and this (laughs) friend of mine carried a can of Aquanet with her all the time. So I got the brilliant idea of let's hide the lens in her purse under the Aquanet. So we, I, we, I put it in her purse. We're heading up to security. And I remember walking up and the security guard kind of looking at her purse from the distance going, what is that giant cylindrical object, you know, in her purse? And sure enough, we get up there. He opens it up, sees the can of Aquanet, like, oh, okay, no problem. Go in. And I end up shooting the whole show from about 10th row center with wow. this huge telephoto. And I just have all these great pictures that I just love that are in the book. So Prince, I, my, Prince is yeah. still one of my favorites in 1985, Purple yeah. Rain. I had I had posters in my room, and it was a bucket list item <laughs> to see him the last time he came through here. It was just amazing. Mm. Uh, I got to see this book. You know, I have to ask, and, and you know, the obvious answer sure. would be great, but uh, I want to know, what's the quality of these pictures, given that you're hiding... You know, you have to bring the equipment out, get the picture quick, and I would assume hide the equipment again. Um, I mean, when you got home each evening, did you look at them and go, okay, well, I, I've got 82 pictures of my shoes, or, I mean, <laughs> were they all good and gold? <laughs> no, no, they're, they're quite good. You know, part of the challenge for me was getting in this really professional 35-millimeter equipment, you know, and <laughs> over time and pretty quickly, in all honesty, I think I got pretty darn good. And it did end up, you know, I, I was doing this as a gorilla, but towards the end of it, and again, all of this is in the book, I turned pro. I had, you know, at the ripe old age of 21, wow. um, I had built up an, enough of a portfolio that I got hired by magazines. So that should give you some idea of the, the quality of the mm. work. Wow. Who was your favorite to take pictures of? Was it Prince? Yeah, Prince was up there. Also, I have to say, I shot U2 during this period, yeah. and I had the really great experience of shooting U2 in Ireland in 1983, and this was just when they had Mm -hmm. started to become big stars, and it was kind of an Irish homecoming for them. They hadn't played back in Ireland in over a year, so I I swear I must have been the only American in the crowd, and it was a very intimate show. It was even the Edge's birthday, and they brought out a birthday cake, so that was one of my favorites, shooting U2, and also I shot the police at Shea Stadium around the same time, and that was another one of my favorite shows. You know, I have to ask, Julian, because this comes from a very honest place. Uh, you know, you're a huge fan of rock and roll, 
and, and the culture. Did you ever take any pictures that you thought, you know what, I don't think the artist would like that picture? <laughs> That's a funny question. Um, you know, I, I, you know, you, you, I would generally shoot two to three hundred at each show. So some of, you know, I, I didn't tend to do, do anything with the bad pictures. You know, you're always looking for good pictures. So I don't think I, I certainly didn't shoot anything. I think that was embarrassing. But there are pictures that are better than others, and I, I didn't, you know, catch any embarrassing moments. I did shoot one concert of a band that you may have never heard of called Checkered Path. Mm. which was they only existed for a few years in the 80s and they were made up of all these sort of discards from other <laughs> bands for lack of a better term and i will say i don't know what those members think today but they didn't seem like a particularly happy group of people <laughs> and there wasn't a lot of people at the show so i that might be the closest to what you're saying like they may all want to forget you know this experience <laughs> what I, I sort of remember most was the end of the show they invited and this was in a club they invited everybody to sort of get on stage get up on stage with them while they were reporting sort of trying to be sort of punk rock about it but you ended up with this scenario where everybody was on stage and there was nobody in front of them playing because there were so few people there so that that always stuck with me and and those guys may not particularly want to remember this part in their career because this was guys that had been like in blondie and had been one of them had been a sex pistol and so it was it it must have been quite a come down to be playing this little (laughs) tiny club julian david stone joining us on the phone this afternoon he has a new book out it's called no cameras allowed my career as an outlaw rock and roll photographer julian Gosh, I wish I wish I was by your side during all of this mm-hmm. because it sounds absolutely, you know, fantastic and fun. Um, wondering about, um, you know, we, we hear about rock and roll and, uh, you know, the 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 sex, drugs, the the rock and roll, the groupies, <laughs> all of that sort of stuff. Uh, I'm sure you saw some of some of that. Um, is that documented at all in your book? Well, the, there is some crowd stuff in the book, just inevitably. I did shoot The Grateful Dead a few times, and you can imagine the, the audience was almost as entertaining as the show with, with those uh, particular concerts. Um, uh, there, there was, you know, I personally had to sort of deal with the, the whole mishmash of roadies and drunken fans and, or, or you know, and, and groupies and everything sort of in my attempt to get photos, but I, I didn't particularly specialize in that, but there's definitely some photos in the book of them. And, and are you still uh, photographing concerts, Julian, or have you put the camera down? No, I, I, this is all sort of covered in the book. I actually, even though I had this sort of exploding career, like I said, at the ripe old age of 21, I had actually gone to film. I was in film school uh, towards sort of the second half of this, and it, it, it reached a point where I was having trouble sustaining both things because I, I just thought, well, my career is going to be in film. Meanwhile, the rock and roll stuff is really taking off. And I, I kind of reached a point that I had to make a choice, and I talk about this in the book. I had an incident that happened at a Bruce Springsteen concert that sort of forced me to have to make a decision, and I chose filmmaking. And, you know, to this day, I'm not sure if I made the right choice, but, you know, I'm, I'm certainly happy to have it all sort of encapsulated in the book. Well, I know you want people to say, okay, well, what happened at the Bruce Springsteen concert? And you want to go buy the book. But what happened at the Bruce Springsteen concert, Julian? Sure, sure. So I, I was shooting Springsteen, and this is after I had I had turned professional, but I wasn't um, only shooting professional shows. I still was occasionally sneaking in my equipment because I began to miss it, to be honest with you, when it, it, I really enjoyed the sneaking in. And when you're shooting it as a pro, you have passes. So... Springsteen was coming to town. He was born in the USA. He was sold out stadiums here in in the U.S. 
and this was the last show of the tour. So I was bringing everything. I brought about 20 rolls of film and all this equipment. I got everything in, and I'm once again like about 20th row center shooting away, and a, a few songs into it, something kind of odd happens with my camera, sort of a weird sound, but I don't think anything of it. You know, there's all the confusion and the fun of the concert going on, so I keep shooting away, and I shoot my 20 rolls, and the, the show's over, and I head back up to my college, and I go down it in the middle of the night, about 2 in the morning, to start developing the film, and I pull out the first roll, and it's completely blank. Oh. And, and I just realized that in that moment, that sound was a mechanical thing happening in my camera where the aperture, the thing that allows the light to hit the film had locked closed and I just realized then that basically all my roles except the first one or two were going to be blank and I still had I was up all night developing them looking for some kind of miracle but sure enough all but one or two were completely blank and that was to me that was the sign that I couldn't sustain these two things because I was in college studying film meanwhile I was getting all these calls to shoot concerts and I just couldn't do both so I decided that was it. I was going to do film. I had a couple more assignments I'd committed to. I fulfilled those, and then I hung it up in about 1987. Wow. Uh, the book's called No Cameras Allowed, My Career as an Outlaw Rock and Roll Photographer. It's Julie and David Stone we've been talking to. Is there a single picture in the book that stands out as your favorite? Absolutely. There's a picture of Prince. Yeah! That I, that, I, <laughs> yep, that, that I took that's in the book, and it's Prince in sort of the classic rock star pose. He's sitting there holding the guitar, and he's got his hand up, and he's about to take this mighty strum on the guitar. But because it's Prince, of course, there's a big flowing pink boa. So that, that's, that's my absolute favorite. And, and I do have another one quickly I'll mention that's sure. close right behind. It's of Sting at Shea Stadium where he's standing it's you know it's august in new york so it's a hot sweaty night and he's standing shirtless with his you know bass guitar looking out at the crowd and i just thought you know what if, if there was ever an image of a rock god this is it oh, you know yeah. just looking out at seventy thousand people shirtless julian so th those are my two faves julian someone texted in uh let me text it and said um wanted to know where you photographed you too when you when it that 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 time in ireland and wanted to know if it was slain castle no, it was at the, the, the Phoenix Park Peace Festival okay. in Dublin. Okay. Um, are there, how do, and my final question, yeah. how did you pick, if you have like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of photos, how did you pick what went in the book? It was really, really tough. You know, I got it from 10,000 to 1,000 relatively easy. The, the book has 250 of, of, my, of my favorite pictures. And um, none of these have ever been seen before, so that final cut mm. from a thousand to two fifty was really, really tough. And and the you know the so far it's going very well with the book, and people have asked me about doing another volume, and I'm seriously considering it because I got a lot of really good shots <laughs> I just didn't have room for. So so we can I'm buy the about it. we can buy the book just about anywhere, Julian. Yeah, you can go to Amazon. It's available at Amazon, and you can also, if you want autographed copies, you can go to juliandavidstone.com. This has been a lot of fun, yep. Julian. Want to check out this book and thank you for the. Uh, I having a little. I, I love. I'm just a prince. Yeah, thanks. Junkie. I'll deal with Sorry, this. Yeah, for he's got to deal with that for Thanks, the, yeah. Julian. Thanks, Julian. Merry my, Christmas to my you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Great to talk with you guys. Happy take, holidays. Yeah, you Happy too. Holidays. Bye bye now.
thanks to Julian David Stone for that interview. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, the book is uh, No Cameras Allowed, My Career as an Outlaw Rock and Roll Photographer. Want to Gosh, remind... that would have been fun. Yeah, I don't know why I quit that. want to remind everybody that uh, coming up in about 10 minutes time, we'll have Santa Claus, the Santa Claus, in studio with us, with Jalen Nye and I, uh, 496-0063, the number to call. Uh, we'll get you on hold, get your, well, I should say, we'll get your children on hold, and we'll take the calls. And like we've been saying for the last couple of days, what tends to happen with these sorts of things, but specifically with Santa Claus, is that people sort of get the idea and it grows and, and gains momentum. And then at 5 o'clock, as we're saying goodbye to Santa, we can't get to everyone's calls. Yeah. So it would be nice if we could get calls going at 3 and keep it going through the two hours. They'll it's become a tradition here, and I love it, honestly. Like I said yesterday, I'd be happy to I just want Santa to take and, over this yeah, microphone Santa, and just we'll, uh, do We'll push thing. the buttons, and he can do the talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, you sent me this, and I, it's not Christmassy, but I looked at it and went, what? And, and really nothing more needs to be said. Uh, Beverly Hills 90210, uh, looking to do a reboot. But here's the thing. It's been rebooted before, and the same people are rebooting it again. What would make this one different? They want the original cast and apparently yeah. have most of them. Uh, they're only missing a couple. Well, two of the most popular. Luke Perry and Shannon yeah. Doherty have not uh, agreed yet, but they've not said no either. And there's no word... Um, from Fox or anyone else as to what the show would entail, but it's been described as a as a reboot like no other reboot. In, well, of course. That's, that's Hollywood their, has no new ideas. Well, are they, aren't they all in their 40s or 50s? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, some of them going through menopause. Some of them have, you know, had the seven-year itch. Some uh, of them they put on weight. Uh, there's been a couple divorces. Menopause and midterms? That's a <laughs> stressful situation. I would assume they're not going to play... High no, school students. No, they'd have to play 40 somethings. Huh. Well, as I'm saying, let me know menopause. how that turns out. There's no, this is not a done deal yet. So don't, uh, you know, no, no need to PVR it just yet. But it's, it, they're working on it. The showrunner, that's sort of the organizer. He's like the business manager of a show. He's the guy. Uh, this, uh, he's been very successful in the past with reboots. He's been heavily mm-hmm. involved with 90210 in the past. So this is not just some guy going, hey, wouldn't it be funny if this is a guy who actually does get television on television. So we'll see. 90210, we need to make money again. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, what are your spending habits that after a show as successful and long running as 90210, have you run out of money? (sighs) What do you... Is your house not big enough? The car not fast (laughs) enough? What is it you... In what area are you lacking? Uh, You know what? And maybe I would be that guy too, but I highly doubt it throw a bunch of money at me for a few years and I am gone. Well, it depends how much you, how you've saved. If you had a yeah. good financial planner, if you had I guess, someone yeah. who didn't, you know, shyster it all away. Yeah, right? true. Yeah, very true. I mean, you're 60. You could retire now. Well, I'm 59. You're almost 60. I could retire now. Yeah. But not in a fashion... <laughs> That, that you I want envisioned to. <laughs> when I was 29. Gosh, just so you know, I have arranged for lottery coverage over Christmas uh, that's for our great. retirement plan. Excellent. Okay? Glad to hear it. Thinking about it nonstop. <laughs> um, again, Santa is joining us uh, coming up right after the 3 o'clock news. 4960063. If uh, your child, your grandchild, your niece, your nephew would like to put in that last minute phone call, mm-hmm. it's going to be fun. We'd love to hear from you again. 4960063. 
The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.